You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. Today, we're going round two, ding, 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 with Rob Gray. He is an associate professor at Arizona State University and the host of a podcast I really enjoy listening to called the Perception and Action Podcast. Welcome, Rob Gray. Hey, long time no see. I know. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's good to be back again. Yeah. How are you today? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to talking about this. So for those of you who missed part one, you mm -hmm. and I discussed the constraints-led approach. And by I say missed part one, it was literally earlier this week. So this <laughs> is our second podcast of the week. We do two a week. So if you missed it, go check it out. And then this one, which I find to be valuable too, and it's almost, I think, maybe a, a piggyback, like constraints-led approach and augmented feedback uh, are not two separate. They they have some things to do with each other. So today I want to talk about this augmented feedback when we cue and what are these internal cues and external cues or these task intrinsic, task extrinsic cues and what are they and, you know, is one better than the other and is there value in doing a little bit of all of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So to start, yeah, the idea of internal versus external um, is basically yeah about the focus of attention. Where you, where's a performer or athlete focusing their attention when they're moving? And it comes. The original thing comes from Gabby Wolf at UNLV. The idea, an internal focus of attention is when you focus on how your body's moving to execute. You know, um, you know when you when you tell an athlete when you're doing a squat, keep your knees above your ankles or you know, push off with your, your quads, you know, um, that's an internal focus of attention instruction. Um, an external focus of attention is when you're focusing on the effect your body, your movements have on the environment, right? So, you know, uh, so it could be either something relevant. So I, if I, if I change from push off from your feet to push off on the ground, right? The ground is an external thing. It's not your body, right? So it can be very subtle changes. Um, focusing on the effects your body has on the environment, affects you know the things in the environment, the other athletes around you. Um, and research has generally shown, you know, with some caveats that people argue about that people perform and learn better with external focus of attention cues. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different explanations. You know, the one that I like is goes with my theory is that um, when you're externally focused, it allows your body to self-organize better. You're not interfering with what your specific muscles and joints are doing. You're putting your attention outwards to get feedback, to help come up with tactics of how to move rather than trying to control what your body's doing consciously and, and, and through your awareness. Right. So one of the things that we probably cue quite a bit of is uh, let's say that we want to prepare our core before we go into working out. Right. So we'll do these prep activations. So we'll say, let's see if we can get our lumbopelvic hip complex to start to wake up and and be more prepared for the things that we're about to have it do. So one of the things that we might do would be a floor bridge, light on the floor, lift our hips up and 
squeeze the glutes. Now that is, that's an internal cue. And that cue is to see if we can get more glute activation. Now, one of the things that we find is that if we minimize this internal squeezing of the glutes, or at least a focus on the glutes, then we tend to be a little more hamstring. We might get some more hamstring on there. Uh, and you know, for many of our lifting patterns, we would like to encourage more glute activation. The question is, do you believe that there is a place for these internal cues and not necessarily cueing just the, the lifting up in an external cue? Yeah, no, I think there is. I think in that specific example you gave is a great, because that's exactly what the research shows. You know, again, there's, I know Gabby Wolf's done some studies where she's looked at movement efficiency. So if you're trying to do a skill, um, if you cue someone internally, pay, pay attention to your forearm, what you find is there's actually more higher level of muscle activation, right? Um, EM, mm. I think they use EMG and things like that to measure the level of activation in the muscle. And there's higher with it, these internal cues. When you're performing a skill like, you know, running or something like that, you don't want that, right? Because it's less efficient. Right. You're, gonna, you're using more activity to do the same thing. But if you're trying to actually work out <laughs> like a physical training, maybe that's what you want, right? You want to focus more activity in that muscle, like the example you gave. So, so I think it really depends on what your goal of the training is. Nice. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I want to say thank you for letting me know the, uh, Gabby Wolf, uh, yeah. her first name, because I just, you know, we do APA and I just see Wolf G. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know who she was or, or where she was. So thank you for that. Um, when, when some of the examples, there are some great people. So to speak to one of the things that you just spoke to, uh, Brad Schoenfeld just recently posted on his social, and I'm not sure if it was a paper, probably a paper that he helped with because he's a very uh, prolific researcher when it comes to it. But it, I think it was a bicep curl in that those that focused more on feeling the bicep actually got more activation out of the bicep. So that kind of goes mm -hmm. into what you were talking about with, uh, with this bridge example. Um, but there are some other cues that are out there. There's a, Nick Winkleman does a great job. He does a lot of research in cueing and he talks about internal and external cues. And usually when it comes to performance, then it does seem that the performance cues are, um, the more successful feedback comes from feedback that is uh, that is extrinsic. So instead of saying, you know, extend your knees and squeeze your glutes to get up out of the squat, they would say, push the ground away from you as hard as you can and lift the weight up. And there seems to be a, a relatively, at least according to the research and most examples, a significant difference on how people are able to perform. Why do you think that is? And is that true? Um, yeah, yeah. You're right. Nick, his book, uh, I think it's the language of coaching gets really into mm -hmm. all of these, these kind of issues. Yeah. In general, like I said, the, the research across a lot of sports skills and the domain, I, I've done some on baseball and golf myself. Um, when you get people to focus externally, you seem to get better performance. And I think the difference is, right, uh, you know, in performance, we're looking for coordination, uh, you know, efficiency. So we want you to, um, you know, move, uh, kind of organize your movement to be effective in your goal. Whereas 
training, you know, maybe you want to target that one muscle and wear that out. Right. Mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of a different overall goal, I think, um, is the reason. Um, there's also, you know, the other explanation, the different one that self-organization is, uh, is people have argued for years that Gabby has come up with this constrained action hypothesis is, you know, the idea that as you become more skillful, movements become automatic, right? They're kind of un unconscious right. habits. And if you focus on internally, you break the, that apart, right? If you start thinking about your elbow when you're doing a tennis serve, right? You're going to disrupt these automatic things you've learned over hours and hours of practice and, and break it apart. Um, that's kind of the idea and, and mess it up. Um, and and lo a lot of people think that's what happens when athletes choke, for example, under pressure. You have a golf putt for, to win the Masters. You start thinking, well, my knee's bent enough and my head down. Yeah. Right? And that's the last thing you want to do right in skill, being a skillful uh. movement. Um, so that that's kind of so yeah, I agree that the, the performance versus training and developing uh, kind of awareness and capacity is very different uh, things, I think. Yeah, I like that. Uh, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this is Rob Gray from Arizona State University and the host of the Perception and Action podcast. And he's talking to us uh, today about intrinsic and extrinsic feedback and cueing. So Rob, I want to ask you questions about cueing specifically, right? So we have this attentional cueing or attentional focus, things that we are cued to focus on. Um, when we look at cueing, do we have any idea of like when is the best time to cue how much we're supposed to cue if we sometimes just need to shut our mouths and let people work because <laughs> yeah. sometimes we do it and we say if it's not perfect you shouldn't be doing it and i'm not necessarily in that camp but i am in a camp of you know let's do it safely and there's mm -hmm. what's referred to sometimes as a performance bandwidth, right? Does it mm -hmm. fall within the parameters of good enough that I'm not going to interrupt? Yeah. No, I think there's, that's a great question. I think, I think Nick talks about this too. I, you know, the, the idea that the external thing, internal thing, particularly the matter is like the last thing you say to the athlete before you, they perform, what's a cue, one cue I want you to focus on pushing off from the ground. Before that, when you're kind of working on the, you know, other things, you can say a lot of other cues, right? Get them in more and more and things. But yeah, I think in general, doing less, less is more for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I've worked with a lot of athletes where, I, you know, they show up with me and they, you know, have trouble hitting a baseball or, or tennis. And one of the activities I like to do is I want hold the racket or the bat backwards. So hold it by the barrel. What I want you to do is I'm going to throw you the ball and you have to flip it in midair and then hit <coughs> after a thing. And what you invariably find is they do much better, right? Because they didn't have time to think of all those cues <laughs> that someone's filled their head up with, right? So I think there's that. Another thing that we like to talk about a lot in this area is using an analogy, right? So instead of giving a lot of cues, do this with your elbow, do this with your wrist, do this with your leg. Can we think of an analogy like... I want you to swing a tennis racket like it's a rain, you're moving in a rainbow, right? So I'm getting this arching stroke that I want without telling you all the details and having you remember five cues or 10 cues, right? So I think in general, less is more, but I, I you know, I think there's place and time for, for different cues. Yeah, when you look at um, sequencing, there's, when we also look at sometimes training, we might do something like a whole part whole mm -hmm. training 
which is where you just kind of go through the movement and then you say, okay, now let's break it down and break it down into sections of the movement instead of practicing the whole movement over and over again so that you can refine piecemeal and then see if you can add that back together again at the end. Mm. Is there a, um, I don't know, your, your thoughts on this whole part, whole training when it comes to kind of attentional focus? Yeah, I think, you know, in general, I you know kind of like the whole, keeping things whole as much as you can. But um, I really like the the way you described it. If you do need to break things apart, going immediately to uh, putting it back in, like getting the athlete to put it back into the whole movement. I think that's the critical piece. So I think there can be some situations depending on a, kind of what your skill. I think part of it is, you know, are we talking about things that happen in sequence during the movement or things that have to happen at the same time? Like uh, for like example, in a golf swing, training your lower body separately from your upper body, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense because they need to work mm -hmm. together, right? They need to interact with each other to get the club to the right place at the right time. So breaking that apart to me, because they're, they're happening simultaneously, doesn't happen, doesn't, I would try to avoid if it was me, but other things where it's happening kind of one after the other, there might be more, more room for it. Yeah. I think about yeah. things like, um, I don't know, like a, like a clean, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, weightlifting. Right. So, you know, there's the, the deadlift off of the ground. There is a high pull. There is kind of the scoop and catch and, you know, refining individual movements because that's where the problem is. And then saying, okay, let's refine it. Let's let's take you know you out of the orchestra and this long piece that you've been working on. Let's focus on this, uh, you know, sixteen bars. But then we got to put you back in and play the entire thing. So refining mm -hmm. some of the bits that need to be worked on, but but always placing it back in so that you're working the whole. And I think that's that's what I like about the idea of whole part whole. That if you mm -hmm. need to break mm -hmm. something down and train it. That's not all you work on. You don't yes. just break down the part and then you say, okay, great. That looks yeah. great. And then go hit the showers. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, put it, sure. put it back in. And I love really what you're saying uh, throughout, you know, uh, earlier in the week and then talking about it even today is that your, your body can organize it. Mm -hmm. Your body can figure it out, but sometimes you need to put some parameters on it. Sometimes you need somebody on the outside to see what's going on and say, this is what I see you doing. And I, you may not even know it's happening. Yeah. And then once I receive that information, I have to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then linking back to that, to that episode, you know, the way that we think about it is instructions from the coach and feedback are constraints, right? You can manipulate you, you, again, they're, they're changing how people explore the environment by the, the specific instructions you give as a coach. So yeah, I think it, it all fits nicely. I also think that I thought this was really interesting and I can't remember where the study was. I read it from, but it talked about more elite level versus newer people mm -hmm. and whether that's weightlifting or sports, um, it, the newer, the people are the, the more attaboys and good job. And I love what you're doing and the efforts there. It's great. And then as you get to more advanced athletes, they they really want to know what they can do. Mm -hmm. to make it better as opposed to what they did so well <laughs> right then. Like that's yeah. part of the coaching is fill me in on being better 
Uh, and when you're new, it's like, just give me anything to make me feel like I'm in the right place right now. Yeah, no, that's a good point. There's some, there's this interesting body of research called in you know, where we do is what's called self-controlled feedback. So you ask, you let the athlete themselves decide when they want to see how they did um, to get mm. feedback. And it is true, exactly what you described, especially new learners. They actually want the feedback when they did well, right? They know right. they when they know when they completely failed. They don't need you to tell them that. They want the <laughs> feedback when they did well. And then I think, yeah, as you get more experience, I think practice becomes more deliberate. You know that you know mm -hmm. you want to work on the things you're not good at, right? Um, rather than you know we all kind of get motivation by practicing things we're really good at. But I think the really good athletes know that they need to have a specific goal of what they want to work on. And that's required, you know, you want feedback, you need feedback about when you did things poorly. Um, so yeah, I think I totally see your point there. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, all right. So again, I don't want to keep you. I'm so excited that we had the opportunity to have you with us for two episodes <laughs> in a row. Uh, with that being said, anything that you want to leave us with when it comes to this idea of um, feedback and what that looks like when it comes to internal versus external feedback. Yeah, I guess the the last point I make and yeah, I'd like to make is, you know, one of the things I think we have to be really careful about now is with all the technology that can give us feedback. Mm -hmm. So all this technology, tracking technology, monitoring things, uh, heart rate, you know, they can all they're all extrinsic sources of feedback, things we don't get ourselves. I think we have to be really careful of not overwhelming athletes with that stuff or letting them do too much of it themselves, like always filming yourself and doing biomechanical thing analysis on yourself. The coach needs to be in the, and the trainer needs to be in the middle and take that information and putting into useful cues and instructions, right? Not letting the athlete see all the, the things. So, so I think that's a really important thing we need to consider as with this technology is becoming cheaper and there's so many different things we can measure ourselves on our own performance. Oh, I, you know what I think is funny? I think sometimes you can get overly involved in the, <laughs> the, the feedback. And that certainly happens with, actually, I had a, a business partner of mine at one point. He measured everything with, uh, he had the R ring, he had some other gadget on him. And at one point he came in, he didn't have any of the stuff. And I said, what's up? And he was like, I felt like it was controlling my life. <laughs> like I woke yeah. up just, I woke up early because I needed to see how, how long I slept. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah. what? That's yeah. definitely not the way to go. Uh, <laughs> and it reminds me also a little bit of uh, an episode of Ted Lasso, where he takes one of the, the guys and he takes him out to the, the field to play with people that it's just like a pickup game. Mm -hmm. And like play for fun, you know, get and not saying that it's not a job, but sometimes you get so in your yeah. head mm -hmm. about the supposed to's. And, you know, I'm I, I'm in New York. I've been a Yankees fan since I moved here. And I remember when A-Rod came, A-Rod was a spectacular player, one of the best athletes to mm -hmm. play the game. He comes to New York and he just he wasn't quite as good. And the New York fans were awful to him. They were <laughs> yeah. awful. Yeah. And here's the thing. He was still a remarkable, like blow your mind player. Mm -hmm. But he was like, you know, a few points lower on the batting average <laughs> than he was when he came in. And I think that was one of the tough things for him. He was, 
you know, there's a lot of feedback mm-hmm. and it what not, and you know, it's a lot of pressure other people put on it. And then all of a sudden you put it on yourself. Sure. Um, yeah. And from your point of view, like from the psychology point of view, I'm sure there's so many layers to that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. Yeah. yeah a whole, whole different thing. So we'll read that in the book. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how we can find you, your podcast, your book that you have out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so people can can learn a little more uh, about you. Yeah. So thank Yeah, thanks. It, it, so it's a Perception Action podcast. It's on all the typical places you listen to podcasts. It, I have a website called perceptionaction.com where you can find all about that and me and there's, I have some other posts, uh, think information and yeah, my book is called how we learn to move a, a revolution in the way we coach and practice sports skills. And it's uh, that website or on Amazon is the best place to find it. Fantastic. Rob Gray. Thank you so much for being on the NASM CPT podcast and for our fitness professionals around the country uh, and world to be able to, to learn more about your area of expertise. So I appreciate that so much. Thank you for everybody that is listening. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram at dr.rickrichie. You can send me a message or you can email me rick.richie at nasm.org. This has been the NASM CPT podcast.